millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast, everybody, and this an episode in our series on iconic ships. Now, if you haven't done so yet, do please head to our back catalogue and check out all of the other fabulous episodes we have recorded on history's most iconic ships. Most recently, we have published an episode on the SS United States, which I think is my new favourite ship. Launched in 1951, she still holds the blue ribbon record for the fastest crossing of the Atlantic in either direction direction. We've also published several episodes on the magnificent Lusitania and her terrible loss in the First World War. On Brunel's extraordinary ship, The Great Eastern, which includes a frankly astonishing video of a frankly astonishing ship model, a diorama held in the collections of the National Maritime Museum. Uh, we've done one on Shackleton's endurance, recently discovered at the bottom of the Antarctic, on the Thermopylae, HMS Barham, the Ark Royal, HMS Victory, the list goes on and on. Today we're heading further back in time than we ever have before, than we've ever dared before, to a medieval iconic ship. We're here to find out about Henry V's ship, the Grasse Dieu, launched in 1418, and what a ship she was. Henry only reigned for 10 years, but in those years he worked harder than any of his predecessors to build a navy designed to destroy French sea power, such a threat during the Hundred Years' War. His ships were not just barges designed for transporting armies to France, but were great warships built for prestige and power. It's during Henry V's time as king that one of the finest medieval warships of them all, the Grasse was built. Contemporary descriptions marvelled at her size, and modern historians were cynical about her size until the wreck in the River Hamble near Southampton was surveyed. These investigations proved that her mainmast was 200 feet tall. She was nearly three times larger than Henry VIII's Mary Rose, which was built nearly a century later and no warship rivalled her for size for another 200 years. At the lowest of tides, you can still see the timbers of this wonderful ship poking out of the mud in the River Hamble. 
To find out more about this remarkable feat of construction and vision, I think is perhaps the most important word here. The vision to see and then attempt something apparently impossible. Well, I spoke with a legend in the world of medieval maritime history, the wonderful Susan Rose. Among her many books are England's Medieval Navy, 1066 to 1509, The Ship's Men and Warfare, The Wine Trade in Medieval Europe, 1000 to 1500, one of my favourite books, that one. Uh, most recently, The Wealth of England, The Medieval Wool Trade and Its Political Importance, 1100 to 1600. Now, as ever, I hope you like listening to her as much as I enjoyed talking with her. Here is the brilliant Susan Rose. How do you start studying Henry V? Is he an well, easy person I to mean, study? Well, I mean, it was it was all due to to um, George Nash. Do you, you remember he was he was secretary of the Navy Record Society. He was secretary of the um, SNR, I think, as well. And he was curator at um, Greenwich. And um, he's an extraordinary man. He's very tall and thin. And if you talk to him, he walk round and round you in circles. <laughs> Very disconcerting. <laughs> anyway, I, I um, had graduated, and um, I I was very bored with a baby. Mm. So I uh, the. Um, uh, New Statesman had an ad saying you could do postgraduate work at Birkbeck for nine pounds a year. So I wrote off and I went to see someone called Alwyn Ruddock at Birkbeck, who was the reader in Tudor economic history because I wanted to do something glamorous, you know, a, an Elizabethan glamour boy. Yeah. And, and she looked at me and said, hmm, if you've got a, a small baby, you better do a, a, an edition of a document. I think there's one at Greenwich. Right. So I went to Greenwich and um, uh, George produced this account book of, of the um, clerk to, of the king's ships, William Soper, um, uh, uh, in the 1420s. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I transcribed it by hand. I don't I ever do that now. No. Amazing. How long I, did that take you? Well, it actually took me about three years. Really. <laughs> because I had two more children oh, under okay. in the time. <laughs> and I used to hide the bump under the, the seminar table at the oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, and uh, once you know you'd got the text, you had to look at the ships. And obviously the grass was the biggie, biggie. Yeah. Let's just talk about the grass then. Well, why is it so important? Well, I mean, first of all, it is just about as big as victory. When, and Nelson's HMS victory. N- Nelson's victory, yes. Okay. Um, and when you consider it was um, clinker-built, you know, um, the, the, the strakes overlapping, not edge to edge, edge, to edge or the planks, you know, yeah. it, it was probably the biggest clinker-built ship ever built. Wow. And it had a... Um, Just for our listeners, we'll say that you know, HMS Victory is 200 and something years after, yes. after the Grass Joe was built. Um, it's 
um, had a, a very particular way of doing clinker build, which um, generally speaking, you know, have one like that and it overlaps, so you have one overlapping, you know. When you, when you have a, you, you rent a, a, a rowing boat or something like that, they're very often clinker built. Yep. And some um, fiberglass dinghies pretend, you know, they have bumps along it's, it's the It's the classic side. look of a little dinghy. Yes, or a, that's yeah, right. Or if you the imagine classic, a, a Viking boat. There a you Viking boat. And, but the, the way the um, clinker building on the Grasdio was done, it had, th at one point, it was three layers thick. Wow. Because they, they had one, a middle thought? one, and yeah, and so you had a great long nails, they, uh, you know, they, um, uh, bolts to go through three layers of planks yeah. and, and with a, a rivet or a, a, a clench on the end. So, Technically, it was extraordinary. Yeah. And nothing, nothing remotely like this size had been built before? Nothing remotely like this size because the biggest sailing ships at the time were in the Mediterranean and, the, and Mediterranean shipbuilders have, of, uh, after the classical period um, used um, a, a carvel build. Yeah. I mean, it's These called, are Venetians and yes, uh, the Genoese. The, the, the biggest sailing ships were those of the Genoese. Oh, okay. And they were in fact called carvels and carvel building um, is the way their, their um, hulls were done, right. edge to edge. Okay, edge to edge. So a bit more, and, and, more I mean, advanced and it allows you to build big and strong. Yes. I mean, the, you, you, with a carvel-built ship, it's frame first, and then you stick the sides on. Yeah. With, with the clinker build, you sort of build the sides on and then keep them out, you know, with putting in beams. Mm. And the problem probably with Grasdia was that they'd reached the absolute limit of that technology. It, the strain between the beams and the sides must have been extraordinary. What was Henry V up to? I mean, he must have... I, I wish I would have been at that meeting where he'd got his shipwrights in and said, well, right, what right, he, guys. what he was up to is quite clear. I mean, the fact was, he was, you know, faced with the fact that the Genoese were allies of the French. And um, by the, the details of the treaty, they had agreed to supply the French with... Um, a fleet of carvels, i.e. these big clinker-built sailing ships. Mm -hmm. And um, if, he if Henry V got the fleet to Agincourt across the um, channel uh, without opposition, but um, after the, the um, uh, victory at Agincourt, the next big engagement was the Siege of Harfleur, yeah. which was the um, French naval base in effect. And the English had taken that, and it was under siege, and um, uh, the um, Duke of Bedford put together uh, the best fleet he could in the August of um, uh, 1416 to relieve Harfleur and fought in the mouth of the Seine, a, a, a sea battle against the Genoese. Mm. And he managed, in fact, to capture uh, four um, uh, of, the, of, of the Genoese uh, carvel-built ships. And, an, and in fact, a fifth one was driven onto the coast and wrecked. So he managed 
to take these ships with the forces he had. Now, leading his fleet were two of the king's ex pre-existing great ships, but these were not so enormous. I mean, the, there was the Jesus and the Trinity Royal were the, were the two um, uh, largest. There was, a, there was another one called the Holy Ghost, which was a rebuilt Spanish ship. And so, you know, he could see that if he was going to be faced with more Carvel uh, or more Genoese fleets, he would have to have something that was bigger <laughs> than the best Genoese Carvel, because um, uh, there were very rudimentary guns on these ships, but I reckon they were, the, the main function was to cause um, alarm and despondency because they were very likely to blow up, which of course wasn't a good idea, but they of course created heat and smoke and noise and that, but I don't think it did much damage to anybody because they were mounted on, on the deck, firing over the um, gunnels, I don't think they could. They, well, they couldn't. They couldn't aim them. So, no. a demonstration of uh, resources in a yeah. Sim, I mean, they were very expensive. So you know, they, they and they say they they clearly um, would make a, a great sort of row and smoke and all this kind of thing. I mean, apart from the the battle of the Seine, which Bedford won, there were one or two other incidents when. Um, royal Ballingers. Now, Ballingers were like sort of modified Viking ships with better sails and 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 um, uh, higher higher probably a higher freeboard. But compared to a carvel, they were like gnats, mm. you know, chasing a, a rat or something, you know. Yeah. And and there is the, in one of the chronicles there's an account of how. Um, I think there's four or five Ballingers chased a carvel up the channel all day and tried to get um, boarding ladders on it. And in fact, got alongside, got the boarding ladders uh, up, and then, of course, they, they, were, they, were, they were thrown off the gunnels by the crew. Uh, and they ended hand -hand up... Hand-to-hand fighting. Yes, hand, they, they, couldn't, they, could, they were, could not board because they were so much lower in the water, the high sides... They, they had to climb up somehow, mm. and and the the, the obvious, oh, I mean, one of the, the um, uh, tactical things to do was to build a ship that was either higher so you could jump down, or the same about level and you could get over the over the rails and that onto the deck. Yeah. So it was a it was to deal with the threat posed by the the Genoese. Um, sailing ships, caravels, carvels, not caravels, they're carvel build ships, or they're also known as carracks. Mm. Um, and um, so he, uh, the orders were given to build uh, the Grasdieu, and he also ordered uh, a similar type of ship from Bayonne, which is you know, in English, a Gascony, um, which um, uh, was never finished. Mm. So th th there was a... Uh, there was a, supposed to be another one. Mm -hmm. There was supposed to be another one. Yes. I mean, there was a, it was a, 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 a policy decision. 
I mean, it always strikes me that it's very like the vanguard in, in 1944. Right. You know, we'll have something bigger than, than the Tirpitz and, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, the, uh, you know, the German, uh, the, uh, the, the Schnarrnhorst, you know. Yeah. And of course, when it was finished, the war was over. Well, the same thing happened more or less to the Grastier. The time it was afloat, Henry had won. And so what were they going to do with it? Well, the answer is they did try to use it. But I think it must have been extremely difficult to handle. Yeah. Um, it had three masts. And no one's had any experience of handling anything this big. Nobody. So it's not well, just difficult to handle. No one knows what they're doing. Well, not quite no experience because the captured carracks ah. were taken into the, the royal, well, you know, the English... The king's ships, and, and uh, were crewed by. Uh, well, uh, um, you only have to look at the Mary Rose. Um, you know the results of all the um, bones on the Mary Rose to know that crews were were very mixed. They yeah. weren't international. Yes, they were into. And you know, you, if you were told to go and crew the king king's ship, you hadn't got much. Of, you couldn't argue. You went. So it's more. It's more rather than international. It's the nation of sailors. Yeah, a nation exactly. I mean, you know, like there was one law of the sea, all the way up the uh, Atlantic coast of uh, of France, round into the Channel, into the Baltic. There's a whole. Um, uh, language of the sea and 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 the um, sailing directions and that were undoubtedly share, uh, shared between. So you know they, they do they they had sailed carracks, but this ship was of an order larger than a carrack. Um, how much experience they had on managing a ship with three masts, I think, is a. I mean, the, the carracks had three masts, but the um, mizzen sail, one at the back, was a lateen, you know, three three cornered yeah. sail, and so that um, uh, it would be handled differently from the the other. The others were 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 square sails and would have bowlines at the corner, you know, so you could alter the. The angle of the sail by uh, adjusting the, the bowlines and yeah, yeah. Th that kind of thing. Well, I do you know how many people would have been on the crew. Oh yes, um, you you do know that um, uh, because um, on the one occasion that the um, Grastier went to sea, um, when he when Henry V had won or rather had driven the Genoese out of the channel. And uh, he was about, um, he was more or less in a position to um, uh, negotiate the Treaty of Troy with um, Charles VI. Mm -hmm. they, they had a regular system of summer patrols along the channel to keep an eye on um, uh, any enemy ships. Um, I mean, intelligence was always very patchy, so sailing up and down, but best you could do. Well, in in um, uh, 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 1420, after the Grasdier had been launched and and was uh, uh, ready uh, and equipped, um, it was included in one of these um, patrols, which was 
um, going to be uh, led by the Earl of Devon, Hugh Courtney, who was well, a sort of leading um, naval commander. Uh, <laughs> and it, it put to sea, but the weather was clearly extremely bad. Um, and, and the um, crew were very unhappy. And uh, when the um, royal officials came to take the muster, there was a sort of semi-mutiny mm. where they um, attacked the um, officials and threw the muster rolls in the sea <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, refused to let the muster be, be taken. And in fact, they, um, some of the crew were put ashore on the Isle of Wight, you know. So um, you have a clear idea of, of the size of crew. You, you haven't got all the names because, of course, the muster rolls have been thrown in the sea. Mm -hmm. But, but they're, they're, they, they, I mean, it had a large crew and it had a very um, uh, experienced captain who was a man called Jordan Browning, who'd been a royal um, uh, captain, sea captain, uh, for some time. Um, uh, the uh, precise n number, I, mean, I, th I think, uh, uh, the, uh, the Gracia had about 200, crew of about 200. Right, okay, a lot for the time, huh? Which is, you know, very considerable. Um, the, the Jesus, which was the next largest yeah. of these ships, um, had a crew about 139 to, uh, to up to 200, but I think nearer 139. Um, to handle the sails, you would have needed a lot of manpower. Um, and of course, uh, they weren't clearly um, separated into seamen and marines. They were expected to fight, and at hand to hand, you you needed a large. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool. So, <laughs> um, I mean, we know exactly how the grass deer was equipped because um, there, there is in existence uh, the infantry of, of, of the grass deer, which um, get, goes into considerable detail, um, uh, not only um, uh, of the uh, um, actual things like the, the sails and the ropes and, and that. It also gives you a, a, a pretty good idea of the um, uh, armaments on board. That's how you know that, in fact, um, uh, it had, uh, let's see, um, it had guns it had three guns. <laughs> I know Fantastic, isn't it? The size of HMS Victory has three guns. Three guns. Right, three right. guns with th um, three chambers. You know that they 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 didn't. Um, uh, had, they had to be muzzle loading as well. Well, jolly difficult to muzzle load a, sh <laughs> a gun you've got on the deck of a ship. Oh, yeah. But they they would have, um, as it were. Uh, sort of ready, ready, uh, a packs of ready um, fire, gunpowder and balls, which they could attach in the chamber. Right. Okay. And, uh, uh, and not have to lean over yeah, yeah. the the rails, shoving walls up the yeah. up the. Uh, Dangerous stuff. <laughs> yes, I mean, and it it it, it had um, when when you get down to. Uh, sort of the um, uh, smaller things, it, it gives you some idea of the sanitary arrangements. There were, there were things called ship vats. Well, they were called sket vats, but I mean, I think they were ship vats. Right, okay. <laughs> so, and, and also they had, um, you, you get a, a pretty good idea of the rigging, the names of the uh, uh, and the, you, they supplied cordage by weight as uh, as well as by length but mainly it was by weight um, and uh, some of the uh, cordage on a ship like the grass deer one's still not quite sure how it was um, set up because the um, terms have not really been elucidated properly. No. How was this I mean in terms of how sea power was used and wielded at this time. Um, how, how was that kind of conceived? It's hard to be sure, really, because um, the um, uh, documents that you have, you have a lot of financial documents. How much did it cost to buy this, that and the other thing? And I mean, and, and um, they kept meticulous accounts of things what had been uh, as it uh, had had been worn out or used up and had to be replaced and um, I mean with Soper's accounts in general I, long after all the ships had been sold or dispersed in other words he was sitting in Southampton with a 
a, a, a storehouse full of odds and sods, you know, yeah. which was all listed carefully. So, um, Difficult to know. But diff- yeah. the, the point I mean, is, is they're, they're royal ships, so it is, a, it is ships. a royal navy. They're not, yes. they're, they're not wielding sea power by renting in private, private no. well, vessels. Well, uh, again, be careful, because um, when opportunity um, served, not... Um, William Soper, but because um, th- the uh, strategic situation in the Channel was rather different, but his um, his predecessor was a man called William Catton. Re- when things were quite quieter before Agincourt, but Henry V had already begun to build up the number of ships in royal ownership, he rented them out. Mm. to go on um, uh, trading voyages. He rented them out to Italian merchants and he rented them out to English merchants, mainly to go to Bordeaux for wine. Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the things about the ships uh, that's important is that they were the king's personal property. They weren't um, a crown property as we would think about it. They were as much the king's personal property as um, Sandringham is the queen's personal property. So that when Henry V died, his will contained the provision that all the ships should be sold. And most of them were. Because that was the the terms of the... um, uh, well, and of course, the um, Henry VI government was completely, you know, cash strapped. It hardly had, you know, sixpence to run to get rub to get to two sixpences to rub together. But um, so the the, the Genoese had been driven out the Channel. Henry VI was king of France. What did you want? All these expensive ships sitting in, in Southampton or the Hamble River, eating money, you know, that was how it was probably yeah. seen. So what happened to the Grastia? The, the Grastia um, was clearly a bit special. Um, uh, the Trinity Royal and the Holy Ghost were sold. The Jesus were, uh, was also sold. And, but the Gracia was never put up for sale. It stayed in, um, in Southampton not for, for a while. And then it was taken down to the Hamble River, to Bursledon. And um, first of all, it was anchored off Bursledon in the river. And, and then it was um, beached on the mudflats. And um, if you go there... Um, above the modern road bridge, where there's a, a country park, and it's either the autumn equinox or the spring equinox. In fact, last week you could have done this. At, ex- at the lowest of the low spring tides, you can see the ribs sticking up out of the mud. Amazing. Still there after Still all these Still there. Um, it, it was beached there. Um, in the 1830s, and then it was struck by lightning and burnt to the waterline. Mm. At least it was, that's what they said in the accounts. <laughs> and then it's several generations until there's another naval 
well, how should I put this, an, an, a monarchy with that interest and that kind of power in the Navy? Well, I mean, you know, there the, the were, in fact, the, there was no uh, clerk of the king's ships. There were no royal ships um, uh, from about, I think, the last one was called the Little Jesus or the Petit, Petit Jesus in, in the 1430s until um, Henry VII built regent and sovereign. Yeah, that's because he's terrified that someone's going to pinch his crown just like he's pinched it already. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, the, uh, the, um, what they did was they hired, well, um, the, the guy who had the best ships was the, um, the, uh, the Howards, you know, yeah. the, the Norfolks. And, and he, he built a couple of, of, of carracks on the East Coast. In, in, in Dunwich and Orwell, which were sent up to Scotland, you know, yeah. to fight there. Interesting, though, that, you know, the Tudors essentially invade by sea, don't they? And yeah, that's how they, yeah. they, they come in boats. And then and then, then it's Henry VII and Henry VIII who, who build up the, yes. the Tudor fleet. And there's this big kind of burgeoning of English sea. I mean, uh, Henry VII, I mean, he only, there was the swift shore and, and, and the regent and the sovereign. And, and then, you know, Henry V really begins to... Um, Expand the navy and, and until you, it was capable of fighting the the French off Brittany, you know, in the the battle um, uh, off Brest in the fifteen twelve war. Makes you wonder how much Henry the Seventh and Henry the Eighth knew about the the sort of ancestry of the navy. I mean, I'm assuming that the Grasjo was still there and perfectly visible to them. Well, it would have been a wreck. Um, but at least evidence of immense royal yes. power I mean, invested uh, in the sea. There were all sorts of stories about the wreck. I mean, the usual one, it was a Viking ship. Oh, right, very good. <laughs> yeah. Which turned up in the gentlemen's magazines uh, sometime in the 19th century. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, oh, so it's a different question, isn't it? So A, <laughs> what did the Tudors think of it? And then B, what did everyone else think of yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and then, I mean... Being absolutely sure what it was was in the in the um, well there was a, there was an attempt to excavate it in the very end of the nineteenth century, which caused some damage because they went and tried to blow it up a bit to get excavation with dynamite. Yes, oh, that's good right. Lord. But then <laughs> um, uh, uh, in the in the nineteen thirties. I mean, George Nash, the, the, yeah. <laughs> and We've gone his, full circle here. Yes. Well, he was, a, this, he must have been, I think he was a sort of young, I think he was in the Navy. I think he was a young naval officer when this happened. But he and, and someone called Michael Prynne, who was in the, in the army, and I think George Nash's dad, Rain did an excavation in the Hamble River yeah. and really did got quite a lot of info and they got, and they recovered timbers some of which were in the museum at Winchester but I don't know what's happened to them now mm. I mean I the, in 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 Butler's Hard there's one of the in the little museum there used to be in Butler's Hard mm. there's a, a few spikes and things and now of course it belongs the the wreck belongs to the department of archaeology at Southampton and and um, they, they did make an attempt to try and um, use a sort of new idea, which was like a kind of uh, a, a bottomless boat, 
Right. and do an underwater excavation. Oh, yeah, OK. But the, the, the water is so dirty. Mm. I mean, it's not dirty dirty, it's muddy dirty. The, the, the visibility was so poor, they couldn't see anything. And, and, and this, that was put in one of the time team you, oh. on you know, Channel 4. I think, I, that, I think I've seen that one. Yes, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, it wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> in time team's terms, it was a terrible failure because they they couldn't get you know they, it re it didn't work this sort of underwater idea. And Do we know where she was built exactly? Where she was built? Yes. No, we don't. Um, she was built in Southampton, probably up the Itchin, yeah. but the the um, site of a shipbuilding yard. Um, I mean, the whole Southampton waterfront has been so, so altered, uh, you know, that the chances of ever identifying it are zilch. The Time Team people tried to find the site where the Pity Jesus, the last royal ship, was built at Bursledon. And, and they did an excavation in someone's garden and that. And they did find a couple of ship nails. So... But um, the answer is they don't. We don't know where it was. It was in Southampton, not in Bursledon. I mean, the um, uh, Jesus was built up the the rather at Newhithe, you know, um, well, and brought down brought down the the river to Winchelsea. Um, the Trinity Royal was built at Deptford, and the Holy Ghost was. A Spanish ship, which was um, more or less complete, a captured Spanish ship. It was re refurbished in Southampton. But, uh, you know, the whole shipbuilding thing at Southampton, it wasn't just the Grastia. They, at the same time, they built two Ballengers, the small, swift, um, dual-powered, oared and sailed ships at the same time, like a kind of squadron. Mm. They called the Swan and the Valentine. And, and um, so it, it, it was a bit like a modern air, aircraft carrier. You have to have destroyers to, yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> protect it. You know, the Gracia had, had um, uh, um, uh, Ballengers. Yeah. Satellite ships, Satellite, yeah, yes, yeah, basically. Yes. Well, mm. um, it's it's been wonderful hearing all about this ship. Thank you very much indeed, Elias. <laughs>
This podcast comes from both the Lloyds Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research. So do please check out both of those wonderful institutions. The archive of the Lloyds Register Foundation can be found at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk and the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk where you can join up. Yes, there is a free level of membership. I would urge you to sign up to that, but just for a little bit of money. You get four copies a year of the Mariner's Mirror Journal, access to online and in-person events. You become part of a wonderful community, a society that has been helping to preserve maritime history and heritage for over a century. It really is a fabulous way to spend a little bit of money. You even get to come to dinner on board HMS Victory. And for someone interested in maritime and naval history, there's nothing better than that. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.